This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Robbie Kramer talks about visiting Eucharistic miracle sites. Why should we visit a true Eucharistic miracle site? What miracle did Robbie receive during her visits? Well, let's find out. Robbie is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Cody Marincer. Robbie Kramer. Uh, Robbie Kramer has been married to Deacon Dick Kramer for nearly 40 years. They have three children, the youngest, Keith, who passed away two years ago. She has two grandchildren and is a member of St. John the Evangelist Parish in Harrington. Robbie's a retired landscaper, but after retiring, she began a retail business, Flint Heels Metal Detectors. She also volunteers at church and several other nonprofit organizations. Robbie is here with us today to talk about her experience in visiting Eucharist, Eucharistic Miracles sites. So uh, first off, let's see if we have Robbie on the phone with us. Robbie, are you there? Hello. Yes, you've got me. Oh, fantastic. So <laughs> let's get to you because I'm so excited. Um, the, the Eucharist is my favorite topic to talk about. Um, I fell in love with the Eucharist as a convert and uh, especially Eucharistic miracles. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to let you get into um, talking about this and maybe also, especially for non-Catholic listeners, um, can you start us out with um, what is a Eucharistic miracle um, and, you know, uh, why should we put stock in it? Why should we believe in it? Um, you know, um, and that can also help us to understand, you know, maybe the process of uh, how the church approves of these miracles. Anything you can give us to kind of start us down that path. What would you say, Robbie? Sure. Um, I would say that a Eucharistic miracle is one of the most important teachings, well, the Eucharist itself is definitely the most important teaching of the Catholic Church, and that during the Holy Mass, uh, the ordained priest, while praying over the chalice of wine and the patent of bread, he speaks the words of consecration. And then the bread and wine are changed. The substance is changed. Our eyes just see what we see as bread and wine, but it changes into the body and blood, soul and divinity, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this consecrated bread is called the Eucharist. And then, of course, the consecrated wine is called the blood of Christ. Both species have Jesus present, body and blood, soul and divinity. So um, this is also called transubstantiation, which is a big word, um, just means the changing of the bread and wine to body and blood. And it, the substance is different. You know, we see it as the same, but the substance is different. And, you know, this is kind of uh, tough for people to believe, but it is so. Um, a, a really neat priest uh, that I listened to, uh, Father Robert Spitzer, uh, points out, you know, that many are skeptical of the real presence because they think it just doesn't make any sense. But... A Eucharistic miracle, which is where the, the uh, consecrated host changes from that unleavened bread 
and has a visible transformation. You know, now this is with our eyes from uh, bread to a bloody flesh. So that is a Eucharistic miracle when it does uh, show that visible transformation from bread to a bloody flesh or from that wine to blood. You know, for the church uh, to declare such a miracle, um, they take their time, of course, and they want to make sure everything is so. And really what happens is the parish priest uh, will contact their local bishop, and then, of course, the bishop gathers information and decides then if the investigation is worthy of scientific study. And then from those results... A declaration is considered. Uh, however, to be recognized by the Vatican, um, the investigation is continued by the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. And this can take many, many years of study. So that is basically what a Eucharistic miracle is and how it's declared so. Yeah, that is wonderful. But, Keep going. Yeah. That's okay. And, and uh, back to Father Spitzer, um, he talks about a Eucharistic miracle um, as as an example of which there is no explanation of its reality. You know, and 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 any other explanation is completely unreasonable. You know, so. This is a, a wonderful way that the good Lord allows us to have our minds changed to the truth about the real presence. So it's it's just amazing. It's it's unexplainable. Yeah, yeah. I've I you know as you're speaking about that, um, as I've looked into it also myself, I'm I'm blown away by um, all of these Eucharistic miracles. uh, And it's amazing and awesome how the church actually basically goes to the extent of trying to prove it wrong so that they do get it right. Because they Mm -hmm. want to make sure that there is no um, scientific explanation to make sure that it is a... True miracle. Ordinary, supernatural event. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I'm glad that they do. There are lots of people out there that would like for us to believe things that aren't so. So I appreciate the scrutiny that they go through to make sure that it's right for us. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not, yeah, it's not just like um, any person pops up and goes, "Oh, hey, look, this happened." And so, just um, any any parish priest goes, "Oh, okay, we got a new miracle stamp." <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. Well, as you said, it's it's quite the process, and so. Uh, thank you for giving us um, some insight into that, and uh, uh, you know I'm excited for you to um, uh, have, uh, to give us some more insight into um, these these sites that you have actually visited. Because um, here at Divine Mercy Radio, we have actually um, um, helped to uh, we've actually procured um, these boards that show many of the well, actually um, about Blessed Carlo Acutis. He um, was a young man who was the first person to compile the approved uh, miracles onto a website 
and it's through that website um, then and also that we have um, obtained then all these different um, boards that we are sending around um, through anybody who wants them to set up these displays of all these different miracles. And so you have actually gone to see some of these personally. So that's what I'm so excited to hear about, um, and I'm sure our listeners are too. What sites have you gone to visit, um, and, and when did you go see these sites? Well, I've been to two Eucharistic miracle sites. Uh, the first one back in 1994 uh, was to the site in Lanciano, Italy, oh. which is uh, the St. Longinus uh, Church, which has been renamed or, excuse me, rededicated as St. Francis's Church in Lanciano. Uh, also uh, have been to the Eucharistic Miracle of Betania, Venezuela, and was there in 1996. Was able to visit, go back and visit the Eucharistic Miracle in Lanciano again in 2009 uh, with my brother and my son. Our oldest son was able to accompany me. So that was really neat to be able to have him a second generation to see the Eucharistic Miracle at Lanciano. So, yes. That is absolutely amazing because um, the miracle at Lanciano is my absolute favorite one. It, could you tell us about that one a little bit? Would that be possible? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, I'm no expert. I'm sure that there are others that can add more information. But I know that the uh, Eucharistic miracle in Lanciano is uh, basically the first recorded. Um, I know that there are... I'm not sure if it's on a stone or how it is that they've discovered it, but there is some documentation that talks about it. Um, this took place in the 8th century in the year 750. So if you think about this, uh, they did studies on it in 1970, and that would make it over 1,200 years old. So I think that's that's pretty amazing, especially after what they have discovered about it uh, in their study back in the 70s. Um, but this is a miracle of divine response to a Basilian monk's doubt about Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist. So during the Mass, the monk said the words of con- con- excuse me, consecration, and then he watched the host turn into live flesh, and then the wine changed into live blood, and then, of course, that coagulated. So the host flesh is what they say is the same dimensions as the large host used today in our churches today. And as a matter of fact, I have a couple of those posters of the of the. Uh, reliquary that they sit in and they hang in our breakfast room. We get to look at them every day. The host actually is a light brown color and is is easily seen. It, it almost looks as if you're looking at the outline of the face of Jesus. Um, but anyhow, it, getting back to the scientific investigation that was conducted at the University of Siena, they concluded that the flesh is real flesh, the blood is real blood, and both coming from a human, human species, both being the same blood type, 
that AB positive, and this is the same identical blood type found in the Holy Shroud of Turin. Um, they discovered that the blood showed ratios of normal, fresh blood. And then, of course, here we ask that question, how can this be fresh blood and be 1,200 years old? That it just blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, they said that the flesh, the flesh consists of myocardium, endocardium, the vagus nerve, and also the left ventricle of the heart. It's just amazing. Just totally amazing. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, the second Eucharistic miracle I saw was in 1996 in Batania, Venezuela. And this miracle happened um, Christmas Eve. No, I'm getting that confused. It was December 8th of 91. And the priest was celebrating Mass in the chapel of the uh, shrine in Batania, in, in Cuba, Batania. Batania is like a region. Um, and during the consecration, he saw the host bleeding. And after he consumed one of the pieces of the large host, which he had broken into four different parts, he returned them to the paten, which is the little plate that they have on the top of the altar there, and they keep it in the paten. And later when he looked down, he couldn't believe what he saw. One of the pieces was showing a red spot, and from it, a red substance began to emanate. And it's like, like as if, you know, blood was escaping from him, a wound. And the witnesses testified that the blood was not from a wound on the priest. And so contacted the local bishop of the diocese, and the bishop requested a scientific study. And the study confirmed that it was human blood type AB positive again, again, which matches the blood type found on the Shroud of Turin and the Eucharistic miracle of Lanciano. So, and the pilgrims can go see this to this day. Uh, it's held in the convent of the Augustinian Recollect Nuns of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah. So, yes. It, it is so amazing, yet... This is exactly what this is exactly what the Lord taught us, <laughs> you know, and, and so it's the miracle actually there is I, I don't think people really understand sometimes that it's it's the miracle within the miracle, because it's one thing. Um, let's say that uh, let's say that I didn't have two arms and I'm walking around and all of a sudden my arm grew back. You know, people would be like, oh, my goodness, it's a miracle, right? Like, yeah, that's a miracle. But this miracle is something that is pre-professed. This is something that um, that Christ has said, this is my body, this is my blood, right? So this is something that the church says, no, this, this, this is, we, we proclaim this every day. Like this, this is what we say it is. This is just that Christ allows it to break through our senses sometimes. And I think he does that because sometimes he's like, okay, 
wake up, folks. Like, I truly meant it when I said it, and I'm allowing this to happen so that your eyes can be open to the reality of what it really is. This is, you know, this this really is what I said it is. And, and so I'm always amazed at that, that, like, this is just Christ breaking through our senses. Yes, exactly. Father Robert Spitzer talks about the problems that we have today are a lack of supernatural perspective as well. A Eucharistic miracle is something you can actually look at, you know. And so it's quite amazing. Um, there are, you know, like you said earlier, there are so many other um, Eucharistic miracles. And one, for example, is uh, Sokolka, Poland. And that happened as recent as uh, just 2008. And you can see in the studies that they did uh, where, the, uh, where the host is being transformed into actual flesh. Now, this is something they observe. They can see this because the sinews of the flesh are integrated into the molecules of the host. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> well, yeah. And so I, they did further studies, and I guess NASA got a hold of it. And even their electron microscope could not explain it away. And, you know, an electron microscope um, zeroes in um, so close, so much more close than anything else, that they could not explain it away. So can you imagine the sinews of the flesh were integrated into the molecules of the host. Yep. Wow, wow, wow. What more do we need, right? Yeah, exactly. Wake up, folks. <laughs> Doesn't that information get your attention? You know? Exactly. Like he's reaching yeah. down and shaking us. Come on! <laughs> yes. And, and what was really interesting about this miracle, too, is that the blood was flowing from the inside of of the Eucharist to the outside, of course, you know. Yeah. But uh, the, then, then another interesting thing about their study showed that the, the white blood cells were proliferating while they were looking at it. It, they showed, it, it showed a white blood cell eating some fat. So it's like it was alive. <laughs> it was alive, yeah. yes. So, yeah. so but... Just so you know, you know, just moments after death, the white blood cells literally disappear. Yeah. So not Yet. like it is alive. So not like it yeah. was. It is alive. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. 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 Yeah. So quite interesting. Very, very believable. And so, you know, it, it just, it changes your perspective. Yeah. At least it did me, you know. I, uh, I, I just couldn't grasp the meaning you know, or or I I just couldn't I couldn't uh, I just couldn't grasp the understanding. I just couldn't. The mystery was too great in thinking about the consecration and that you're, you know, receiving Jesus, body and blood, soul and divinity, in that small little host. Yeah. What a gift you've given us, isn't it? No what kidding. a gift of himself. Oh, talk about love. No, you know, no kidding. Honestly, Jesus, you know, what, what did he do? He, he gave himself as a sacrifice, willingly suffered, died, and then had the beautiful resurrection. And then, you know, 
to, to bring us himself and the blessed sacrament of the altar. It was an act of love beyond comprehension, beyond yeah. it. But now, you know, I'm I'm like St. Thomas. Ooh, you know, uh, he told, he what did he say to St. Thomas? You know, doubt no more. Yeah. So wow. I, too, was a believer after I saw the Eucharistic miracles. And then, you know, um, getting ready for this interview, I it rekindled my my memory of what I felt when I was near Jesus in the Eucharistic miracles, you know. And it was wonderful, you know. And and I try not to um, get too flowery with words, but I came away from these sites with a sense of love that I had never experienced before of an overwhelming peace. You know, it, it allowed me to trust in him for the future of our family. And at that time, in, in, when I saw the very first miracle in 94, our little boy, Keith, was uh, extremely ill and on a ventilator and had been for over a year at, at, a, at that point. And we needed a miracle because the doctors were telling us there was no cure for him. So, and that uh, there wasn't anything they could do. So, I I really, really wondered what happened to all the miracles that happened in the days that the Bible was written and over the, you know, over the centuries. Why aren't we seeing those today? What's going on with that? But at that point, too, I have to admit that I was a cafeteria Catholic. I chose what I wanted to believe, and I went to Mass when I felt like it. But, you know, the good Lord has a way of waking us up. And I had an awakening through our little boy, Keith. And from from that, um, I learned about my beautiful Catholic faith. And one of those ways was through this beautiful pilgrimage to Lanciano and visited many, many churches in Italy, praying hard, looking for that miracle. But you know, when I I came away from the Eucharistic miracle in Lanciano, I was looking for that healing for Keith. But I have to admit, I think the good Lord healed my heart instead. And from then on, you know, look out world here, I was coming. Wow. I knew that Jesus was there. He was there in that beautiful Eucharist. And, you know, um, many times people don't have the opportunity that I did to go uh, across the sea, you know, uh, to a different continent or to Europe to see these beautiful Eucharistic miracles. But I'm here to tell you today that you can just go down the street around the corner to your most beautiful little parish no matter how big or small it is, and you can visit Jesus in the tabernacle there and just sit and just be there with him. And it's the same Jesus, the same beautiful creator, you know, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I I really would love to encourage others to go on a, a religious pilgrimage to a Eucharistic miracle site, but I also understand that uh, people have obligations and and can't do that. So, yeah, I would I would say, man, you have shared some beautiful things with us, and and I think one of those really beautiful things is, um, you know, um, 
Are you still there? Can you still hear us? We're here back again. Okay. Robbie, you still got us? Yes, I'm here. Okay. So, Robbie, I was saying um, uh, you shared some wonderful things with us, and I think one of those beautiful things is uh, just perspective because – uh, you know, I teach at TMP, and I've had that question that you actually raised is, uh, well, in the Old Testament, there seems to be these big, flashy, showy God showing himself, these big miracles and stuff like that. Where is he today? Um, and you're right. Um, you know, well, look at some of the miracles of the Eucharist. Look at him showing himself. But also, I think we do maybe miss him a lot. I think maybe we miss him because we're looking in the wrong place. And I think you have shown that. Uh, in what you sh- what you shared with us about your son and these miracles in the Eucharist is where, you, you know, could you have missed him too if you were looking for just one certain miracle and didn't see him because you were looking for just that one miracle and didn't see the other miracles right in front of your face, but instead you saw the miracle that he wanted to work in another way and that was the miracle of your faith and, and that's that's a beautiful mm-hmm. testament i love it I, I think that's absolutely amazing and so maybe we do miss out on the miracles that are right in front of us because we want the miracles that we want and not the ones that he's trying to show us right we need to take a short break right now but don't change that dial we'll be right back with more about visiting eucharistic miracle sites with robbie kramer One body stewarding God's creation. One body. One body stewarding God's creation. Visiting Eucharistic Miracle Sites. One body. One body. With Robbie Kramer. One body stewarding God's creation. Cody Marincer conducts the interview. So we want to get back here talking with Robbie Kramer. We're talking about uh, Eucharistic miracle sites. Robbie's been to a couple of them. We've already talked about Lanciano and a couple of others. Um, and uh, as Robbie um, talked about um, uh, uh, seeing these miracles about some of the things that have happened, um, you know, even a transformation of her heart. Uh, Robbie, was there anything else you wanted to talk to us about, about your experiences while observing these sites um, or anything else that we haven't hit yet? Well, I think that we pretty much hit it. Some of the things that I did see was uh, the utmost of respect uh, in the churches um, as people were walking towards Jesus on their knees, doing penance for, you know, for their sins, uh, beautiful uh, attitudes towards that, people being very um, accommodating. And and it, it was really the whole entire uh, experience was a confirmation of my faith. It It really helped me to see how beautiful Catholicism is, how beautiful, and what I was missing as as a cafeteria Catholic. I, I just had a complete transformation of my understanding. So uh, my eyes were opened. And, you know, it says in Luke 24, 30 to 31, he sat down to eat with them, took the bread, and said the blessing. Then he broke the bread and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, 
and they recognized him. Yeah. Well, that's me. My eyes were opened, and I recognized him. So I, I, I would like to encourage everyone to, you know, make frequent confession, go to Mass more often than just our weekend obligation or Holy Day obligation, and and be generous. <laughs> be generous, you know. So, and, 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 and go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, now, is that right after, is that the road to Emmaus? Is that? Uh, yes, yes, that's, yes, it is. Uh-huh. Luke 24, and 30 so, to 31. The reason mm-hmm. why I asked that is because, you know, um, this is the beautiful thing, as, as I was talking earlier, you know, me being a convert, um, this is the really beautiful thing about the Mass. Isn't that the Mass wrapped up? Like, uh, yeah. we, we have the first part where, um, you know, Jesus is talking to them. And he's opening the scriptures to them. Wait, what a minute? Wait, what? The first part of the Mass. <laughs> and it says their hearts are burning within them, but yet they don't know him yet. And, and it's not until, what did you read to us? <laughs> how, are their, how are their eyes finally open in the breaking of bread? And so, so yeah, it, it's not until the reception of the Eucharist. And, and so... That's beautiful that you're telling me, you know, your, your, your eyes were open, your heart was reinvigorated into understanding the Mass, understanding the Lord's love for us. When you, when you went to these sites and you saw truly these miracles, you know, do, can you give me just um, any more insight into um, when you were there, what is it maybe that changed? What is it maybe that... Um, you already kind of shared with me a little bit, but what is it that kind of refocused you? Does that make sense? Yes. I I'm, I didn't have a lot of Catholic education growing up. Okay. And it was an eye-opener to see keep people practicing their faith so beautifully. And I, what they had, I wanted. Gotcha. You see, and they were... Um, so, oh, what is the word? Um, so calm and so, um, oh my word, I really can't think of how to say it. But um, it helped me to learn about my Catholicism by attending the different masses that we went to, by by seeing Jesus firsthand, right, just two foot away from me. I, and I wasn't rushed. I could just stand there and look at Jesus at Lanciano, look at him, look at that flesh, look at that blood, and realize that was truth looking back at me. That was love looking back at me. Oh, my lands, that is, that's Jesus. He's there. He humbled himself. The great creator of the world humbled himself to let me me from a little bitty town in Kansas to come and look at him right there. It, it just, the, the humility is just so intense. Wow. And it, it, you just can feel it. You, you just have, there's a sense of awe and beauty and, and love that is just overwhelming. It is overwhelming. You just don't realize it. But, you know, maybe uh, by this time, I I was completely open to it because I realized that I was definitely wrong. 
<laughs> and I was grateful for the gentle correction that God had given us and, and given to me. So uh, it, it was a beautiful experience. And to God be the glory for it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he is very good at doing that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I am careful of, uh, about saying is because we don't we don't want to go to mass and uh, say what am I getting out of this because we do want to remember that the mass is the holy sacrifice of the mass and that that's what it is about is about giving adoration and glory to God. But what has maybe changed for the mass for you after having seeing that and after having coming back and after having revealed because I can't imagine that your experience of the mass would be the same after something like that because it's kind of like at least to me if I'm hearing you right it would kind of be like having a long distance relationship with somebody and having writing letters back and forth and right. you know that that's great and everything and you, you, you might fall in love yeah. with this person to a degree but you go and meet them and then all of a sudden now oh. things are different. Oh, yes, it was so. It was just so. Um, it was, I communicated with him every day, and in, in, in not so much as Holy Eucharist, uh, but more so I spoke to him every, every day, uh, often, often. I developed a relationship with him that I had never had before. You know, I felt like... Um, I could hear what he wanted me to to do or say. You know, um, I felt the uh, the nudges from the Holy Spirit um, in in doing better and in making myself a better person, following after him, following reading Scripture more often, praying the Rosary, praying, teaching uh, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy to the kids at the school, you know, um, participating as a catechism teacher, at, you know, for our catechism classes. Um, I, I, it's almost as if a flower blossomed, and I, it was me. I came out of, of this darkness into the light, and I was able to uh, understand better. Just it, my whole entire life changed, and praise God for it. You know it. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, I, uh, I honestly, I, I just changed completely. That is fantastic. What I am hearing from you is is absolutely what we all have to do. Is Christ is constantly seeking us out. Are we turning back and seeking him in return? And, and that's, you know, that's what I heard from you is, is, you know, yeah, I started doing this and this and this. And it's unrealistic for us to go, well, I don't, I don't feel anything. I don't see anything. I don't hear anything from God. And, and yeah, there's going to be, well, go ahead. I'll tell you how bad it was. Okay. I, you know, in having to care for our son, Keith, uh, you, he was someone that you could not leave the room, you know. Uh, so when we would have someone come and stay with him, I would go to Mass. You know, I, it was the first thing I wanted to do was go to Mass. As soon as they got here, i hurry up and give report to the nurse, and I would jump in the car and go to Mass. 
well, then later in the day, if there was something else I could do in town, you know, I'd try to be conservative with the gas and all of this stuff, you know, and get all these chores done at once. I'd drive by the church. Well, I guess what? I had a key to the church. And it was as if Jesus was a magnet. And I was a great big piece of metal. And I would drive (laughs) past the church and I'd say, oh, hi, Lord. And then zoom around the back way I'd go and unlock the door and in I'd just stay for a couple hours. <laughs> it was it was uh, a wonderful thing too. And many times I would do the night shift, taking care of Keith all night. And I knew I needed to sleep during the day while the children, yeah, our other children were at school. Uh, so I would go in and I would just say, Lord, I'm really tired today. Is it all right if I lay down just for a minute? And Sure enough, I'd fall asleep for about 30 minutes, but I'll tell you, that was the most restful, peaceful sleep I had had in in many days. Oh, I bet. (laughs) It was, you know, so that's the kind of relationship I have. It's like, Lord, you know, this is what's going on. What do you think I should do? Just open conversation with him, you know, uh, treating him as if he's right there, standing there in front of me, full-bodied, able to see, and just you know, carrying on conversation and, uh, you know, and hopefully that um, my life, changing my life and, and seeing the way I, I, um, my response was to Jesus and the Holy Eucharist, hopefully that changed someone. Maybe it changed my, my child who was in catechism. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't, maybe it changed one of the nurses that came here. To, to maybe uh, rethink her life and, and go back to church. But it definitely changed me, and I, I hope that um, the way I responded to Jesus and Holy Eucharist was a positive way that others can also, you know, treat the Lord Jesus in that manner as well. So yeah. I hope. Robbie, you you know you gave us a great example there of just being honest. That that's what Christ oh, wants yes. for us. You know, in the Lord, I'm so tired right now. <laughs> you know, oh, yes. That's exactly. what He wants for us is to come with us, or for for us to come to Him and, and just be very honest. Um, Robbie, we don't have a whole lot of time left. We've got about nine minutes. But uh, one of the things that I'm curious about, I don't know the answer to this. Um, are there any Eucharistic miracle sites here in the United States? You know, I know of no Eucharistic miracle sites. Um, There have been uh, uh, a few incidences, as in Texas and in another state. I don't recall what it was, but um, somehow or another, I want to say communication lines were crossed and the host was destroyed. So at this point, I don't know of any, but if someone else does, that would be wonderful. We'd love to hear about it. Okay. And, you know, if you don't have an answer to this, that's okay. Um, but, I, you know, maybe you do. Um, what about all those people out there, especially there's a lot of young people who struggle with this. We talked earlier about how, you know, there was a research poll done here within the last few years that said, you know, upwards of 60 to 70 percent of the Catholics in the pews say they don't believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. What's one good way that you could help yourself to understand this really is what it is. This is what Christ said it was, you know. What do you think? I would I would look up Eucharistic miracles on the internet. There are I don't know the number of them, 
there are hundreds, I think. However, you know, some of them haven't been documented or recorded because, you know, they happened a long time ago and it was just a tradition that they were spoken about. But now we have the capabilities to have scientific studies show us science is telling us that that is real flesh and that is real blood in the Eucharistic miracles. I would encourage you to look them up and just just see for yourself some of the results of those tests and um, believe, believe. Don't hesitate to believe. Don't don't allow yourself to uh, miss out on the most important most important thing in the world, and that's Jesus and the Eucharist and receiving Him frequently. Yeah, you, yes. you know there is still that element of faith. We we have faith in all kinds of things. Um, Christ yes. is asking us to have an element of faith, and that is okay. <laughs> right. You know, and as you said, look it up. One of the things that I would like to remind people is, uh, you know, blessed Carlo Acutis, he did all the work for us, actually. If yeah. you go to his website, go to his website and read about these things because he made it real easy to just kind of read about them and, and sit there and ponder them and go, wow. Absolutely. With, with all of this information and all of these studies and everything, I actually had, um, you know, you reminded me there. A couple of years ago, I had this young lady sitting in one of my senior classes. I used to teach sophomores and seniors. Now I have freshmen and sophomores. But this was a senior in class, and she was sitting there, and she had a, a friend who was an atheist, and she goes, you know, with all the information that I've presented to an atheistic friend um, and all the things that I've talked to him about and... I've even presented him with this, and I've presented him with Eucharistic miracles and the scientific evidence that they've had, that they've shown him, you know, and I've shown it to him. Um, what else can I give him at this point? I was like, look, if you can show him all this, and even that science has looked at it, and they've thrown their hands up, and they've gone, I got nothing. <laughs> like, well, what else are you left with? At some point, you, you got it. Like, even if even science can say, well, we can't answer it. <laughs> then <laughs> what? What do you want? <laughs> right. Well, you know, sometimes in life, the good Lord gets a hold of your shirt collar and says, "Hmm, guess what? I want you back. You've been on the wrong trip, on the wrong, wrong highway, and I'm going to get you back through your son." And that's what he did to me. He said, "I love you enough to allow your son to go through this." And that's what he did. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't change the world in the la- for the last 28 years, 30 years, the what, what trials and tests we went through uh, with Keith and, and because it increased our faith, it brought us back to life. You know, it, don't wait until you receive a trial or a test. That's all I can say. Believe now, believe, and, and you pray. I, I definitely would say, Lord, help my unbelief. But stay faithful to your prayers. Stay faithful to the Lord. You know, that's what I'd say. Wonderful. Robbie, you have given us a wonderful uh, testament. Thank you so very much for uh, sharing your faith, sharing your uh, journey, and and we really appreciate it. We thank you for your time today, uh, and we uh, hope that uh, uh, you pray for us. We'll pray for you. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into One Body Stewarding God's Creation. If you own a service or business, or if you're an individual who would just like to underwrite this One Body show, please know your spot can run three times during this show, which runs five times a week on soon-to-be 
five different stations. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. (laughs) 